0: So, this uh, Advent season, so for the next several weeks or a few weeks, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, what is called the birth uh, prologue of. In the, the, the Gospel of Luke, and simply put, that is really the stories leading up to the birth of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Luke. That's what we're going to be looking at for the Advent, and then um, after Chris, Christmas Day, which and technically there's two, roughly two weeks of Christmas, we're going to be looking at uh, some other encounters that uh, people had with uh, the with Jesus, newborn baby Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. And so uh, today, we're very, going to be leaning into the story of Zechariah. Next week, we'll be looking at the story of Mary, and then the following week, the, looking at the shepherds, and then later at the Magi. And we're looking at our, the story in this way because it, this draws something out, out about the mission of Jesus. As, we will, as we'll see, we'll see this in rather great detail, but we see something, that Jesus came for the religious, that Jesus came for the devoted, that Jesus came for the overlooked and the forgotten, and Jesus also came for the lost. And so the, the, the entire question that we are going to be leaning into over the next few weeks is, who did Jesus come for? And the answer is, Jesus came for every single one of us. And so let's just dive into our text today. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along on the walls behind me or in your worship guide. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. to make ready for the the lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, "How shall I know this, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years?" And the angel answered him, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words." which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended he he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for 5 months she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we come to look at your word now, we ask that you would help us to be here with you, to be present. That as we look at your word, that, we would, that your spirit would be working in our hearts and that we would see your word for us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now the, ho- the holiday season is upon us and one of the things that uh, really irritates every single, one of us, every single one of us about the holidays is that it amplifies all the brokenness and the dysfunction in our lives and our family. For example, when you are together around the dinner table, common politeness means you don't talk about politics, nor do you talk about religion, because you might step on someone's toes. You might cause a family fight. Perhaps there'll be a food fight. Well, maybe in your family. Perhaps in my family. I don't know. But another facet of our brokenness that's amplified during the holiday season actually stems from consumerism. Because we're told and we're taught to wait until December 25th to open our presents that people will get for us. But how can you wait for someone to get you a present when you have Black Friday sales or Cyber Monday and other discounts all month long? The holidays expose how rushed and how impatient we really are. And so the season of Advent is a gift to us. The season of Advent is, is a a specific season that actually makes us be a very different people in our world and society because Advent makes us be patient. Advent is all about emphasizing Jesus' birth, but it's very specifically, it's it's about waiting for Jesus to come. It's about waiting. And so we wait today for Jesus to return, and we wait for God to act in our lives today. We wait... But what are we to do amid the waiting? How are we supposed to wait well? And today we're looking at the story of Zechariah. And the simple point from his life is that despite his privilege, despite his devotion, he was not expecting God to act in his midst. He wasn't expecting God to act. So here's Zechariah. He's waiting on God. He's doing all the religious and priestly duties that he is called to do, but he never expected God to actually act and do something as he was waiting. So let's dive into this passage. And in terms of outline, here's the outline for you. Uh, We're going to be looking at Zechariah's privilege, Zechariah's devotion, Zechariah's sign. So that's the outline that we have this morning. So let's think about his privilege. The first thing that we learn about Zechariah is in verse 5. There's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. So here, here is a priest. And priests within the Old Testament, they are a vital part of Israel's life with God. Just as much, even in fact more so than the prophets. And throughout the Old Testament, priests were called upon by God's people to offer sacrifices, to offer incense, to pray on the people's behalf. And, and God gives us a picture that his people, the Israelites, are sinful, that these people who are sinners cannot come before God on their own terms. And that is why God provides the priests, where Israel can actually come before God, but it's, in a, but it's through these priests. And what we learn about the, this priesthood in the book of Hebrews is that the, all these priests and all their ritual, all their sacrifices, all their incense, all symbolize life with God through Jesus Christ. That's the overall overarching message of Hebrews. And so when we think about these Old Testament priests, they're all of one particular tribe, the tribe of Levi. And Luke gives us more insight into his priestly vocation. Very specifically, he's a a priest of the Abijah division. And to just get really technical, there are 24 different divisions of priests within Israel's priesthood. And so quite naturally, each of these these divisions would come to the temple twice a year to, to go about their priestly duty. And so here's Zechariah at the temple. He is on duty. And that's not the privilege I'm, in fact, referring to. And in verse 9, we learn very specifically that Zechariah is chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And according to the Jewish Tamid, which is a book that gives us insight to the the priestly ritual and customs, it's a very distinctly Jewish book. This is what the, the Tamid tells us a priest could not offer incense more than once during his lifetime and some priests did not ever receive the privilege and so now to for, as we think about Zechariah here this is the this is per, really the most important day of his entire career this is something that not every priest would be chosen to do and this is only something you would get to do once and to very specifically for a priest to offer incense, you would have to go into the very center of the temple all by himself. And, and the people who are, are gathering with you to pray, they're outside the temple. There would be some priests who would co- accompany with you into a, a, another side room, but only you could go into the very center of the temple. And so the picture is clear for us. This is the most important day of Zechariah's career. But there's another element here at play for us as we think about Zechariah's privilege. And, and it goes back to what I just said a few moments ago, that within the Old Testament, you had the priests who represented the people coming before God, but you also had the prophets. And prophets would come and, ref- and represent God to his people. And the thing that really stands out about this moment in that the bigger culture is that prophets have not spoken for 400 years. Then when you look at the Old Testament, you see God speaking through Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and many others, but God has not spoken to his people through prophets in over 400 years. In other words, God has been silent for 400 years. So what would you expect, actually? Here's Zechariah. What would you expect as he would enter into your This room? Is God going to answer your prayers? Would God speak to you? Would God reveal himself to you in a vision? Do you enter the room with God? Do you enter into the presence of God with any measure of expectancy whatsoever? So here we have Zechariah's privilege where he is coming into the presence of God. Let's think about his devotion. Zechariah's devotion. And we read about his devotion in verse 5 that Zechariah had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So both husband and wife, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, are being described as being righteous before God. And this is incredible It truly is. Very few people throughout the entire Bible are described this way. We see this language uh, being described of Noah, that Noah is righteous and blameless among the people of his time. And then even Paul talks about Abraham as being righteous, but he is being made righteous because of what Jesus has done for him, but also what Jesus does for you, that you are righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. So when Scripture speaks about a person being righteous and blameless, we need to ask, what does this mean? How does this fit within all the other passages in Scripture as well? Because Paul tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. So how do we square these things together? How do we square these things together? I want to actually rely on my younger sister here. And this is a helpful way to think through the various ways that, that we actually use the word good. My younger sister would often refer to someone's character by saying, that's a good guy right there. But in no way whatsoever was she saying that person's perfect. And instead, what she saying that person's kind, that person's reliable, that's a, that's a good person right there. And similarly, Luke is not saying that Zechariah or Elizabeth is perfect because we are about to see Zechariah's flaws in good measure for us. But what we see right here uh, is a picture of Zechariah's heart. We, we, we see that Zechariah seeks to love the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, his, and all his strength. And so together, as husband and wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their reputation is that they are good people, to quote my sister. They're, they're, they're good folks. But there's a problem. They, they, they are a disappointment. And we know this by Elizabeth's word later on in verse uh, 25, reproach. And we'll come to this in a few moments. But they are a disappointment to their family and community. They cannot have kids. They cannot have kids. Luke tells us they're old, so it's impossible for them to have uh, children. And now, just take a step back. For Zechariah, he never would even think about asking God for his wife to have a child. He never would be asking God to have a child this time. Because it would be so far removed from his mind because it's behind them. He's old. His wife is advanced in years. And he is there in the presence of God to ask God to reveal himself to his people. That is what's going to be on Zechariah's mind. But let me just take a step back and and address this idea of, of infertility. Because the church does not talk about infertility that well. Whatsoever. Infertility is truly one of the most painful experiences you could go through. Statistically, one in six couples struggle to conceive. And couples may spend years, countless tests, and various procedures, and tens of thousands of dollars trying to conceive, and yet only find failure. And perhaps that describes you in in this room this morning. And what do you expect from God? When you're feeling so much disappointment, what do you? Would you expect God to hear your prayers? My friend Brad r- wrote this about his own infertility that he and his wife uh, experienced. This was what Brad said: "If I hesitate to pray for children, and I often do, it's because I, I fear exactly this. I don't doubt that God is able, but that He is willing to give me so great a gift." You see, friends, when we don't expect God to do something, we are actually saying something about our functional theology about God. We are saying something about who we think God really is. And so, perhaps you're here today, and there's something weighing on your hearts and your lives. Perhaps it's the the, the dream to have children. Are you praying for to have children? Perhaps it's about praying for a loved one to come to know, to to faith. Is are you praying for your friends to? have faith in jesus christ are you praying for reconciliation within your marriage are you praying for the greatest desires and longings of our heart of your heart because what we find here is that that god is able that to answer our prayers and we are even being taught and called to expect god to reveal himself in in our lives And so as we think about this text very specifically, Zechariah thinks that he is all alone in this room. He thinks that he is there just going about the business of lighting a candle, of lighting incense, and he's all alone in this room, but he's not. Gabriel is there, and they actually have a conversation. So let's think about Zechariah's sign. So while Zechariah is offering incense and praying, very suddenly... And very abruptly, an angel appears to the right of the altar. And do you feel the drama here? Zechariah stumbles back in fear. He is overcome with fear. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. And he tells him that the Lord has heard your prayer. What's what's he praying for? What is this prayer? Very specifically, Zechariah prayed that God would no longer be silent. Very specifically, God. he prayed that God would no longer be silent. That God would speak to his people through a prophet. But never in his wildest dreams did Zechariah think that God would speak to his, to his people again by Zechariah's own son. Because Zechariah didn't have a son. He was old and he was advanced in, in years. It would be impossible for him to have children. But the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness to his people... is is by speaking to his people through a prophet, by, by answering Zechariah's prayer. But very specifically, the sign that Zechariah is given is that his wife was going to have a child, that he was going to have a son named John. But so Zechariah hears this, and he's, in hearing this news, his heart is actually full of doubt. He actually asks for another sign. Now, this is not uncommon. If you, When you look at the entire scripture, you look at in the book of Judges, you see Gideon. He has a fleece, and he's praying for God. Hey, God, are you, I, I'm so insecure. I need to know you're with me. Will you make this fleece wet and gra- the ground dry? We see that type of, uh, of element. We look in Hezekiah, same type of thing. They have their own personal insecurities, and they're asking God to to help their unbelief but Zechariah is doing something completely different here. Zechariah asks for a sign because he does not think God can do the impossible. How shall I know this? I'm old. My wife is old. How the hell do I know this? Uh, this is where we get into the drama, but I also really appreciate Gabriel's snarkiness. He, he, this is literally how snarky he is. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God, and I've been sent to you by God himself to preach to you the good news. Like, do you, like, do you hear the snarkiness? He's like, do you realize I'm an angel sent by God to you? I, I really appreciate the snarkiness. And, 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 like, don't actually overlook the language in verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you the gospel. And so here's Zechariah, and he's actually not believing in this good news in the gospel that God is giving him. But since you ask for a sign, here's the sign, you won't be able to speak until your son is born. And so here's Zechariah. He's a priest. He's praying for God's people on his people's behalf, and he needed to talk. In order to simply do his job. And so then he goes back and greets the people, and he cannot, he goes back to greet the assembly that's with him, and he can't talk whatsoever. And they're like, hey, you've received a vision. Never in his wildest dreams would this have been what Zechariah even thought. So fast forward nine months. This is uh, going to the later part of this chapter. Um, when John is born, there's literally quite a crowd um, around his house. And Elizabeth said, hey, his name is John. And all the family friends were there. And the family members were there. And they said, no, 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 no. That's not his name. No one in your family has that name whatsoever. So they turn to Zechariah. And Zechariah is like, give me my, my notepad and I'll tell you what's up. And so Zechariah, he literally writes it out for him. He says, his name is John. And John means God is gracious. Immediately, that in that moment, Zechariah was able to speak, and he began praising God. So uh, all of a sudden, we see uh, in this incredible transformation that happened within Zechariah's life within this within within the span of a year. His heart is full of doubt. His heart is full of unbelief. But yet, God does something, and he is like, "I'm praising God for giving me this child, and I'm praising God because this child is the sign that." God is going to speak once again to His people. That God has heard my prayers, and that God is going to speak to His people, because Zechariah knows who exactly his son is going to be. Here's Gabriel's words: He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled from the holy, filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Just by the way. That's not described of many people in the scripture, to be, have the Holy Spirit inside you, even when your mother's carrying you. And he, and he, going back to John, and he is going to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the same strength and power of Elijah. John, right here, what we find about, about John is that John is not the Messiah He's not the, the anointed king who's coming to make all things right. Instead, John is the herald. He is the one who's going coming before the king, who's announcing that the king is coming and that the Lamb of God is coming. And so John is the one who comes to awaken the people of God from their sleep so that they can actually expect God to work in their midst in their very time and in their very generation. And so as we look at this entire story the striking lesson from the story is that if you are a religious person then you too have doubts and so as christians we believe that god is a god of the unexpected of the of miracles that god is able to do all things as we just sang god is able that is what we believe and we know these things because god revealed himself to us through his word and as we think about Zechariah very specifically he has the privilege that was unique to his entire people and that privilege was going before God into the presence of God and praying for his people but friends you have that same privilege you have that same access to God because Jesus Christ has secured it for you. You have the privilege of having all of God's word from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. You have the promises of God. In fact, you are the heirs. That, the promises of God are, in fact, your inheritance because Jesus earned them for you and guaranteed them for you because he died for you upon the cross. That is our privilege, that God's promises are yours, that God's promises are ours because Jesus has has died for you, and that Jesus has reconciled us with the Father. That is our privilege. But do we expect God to hear our prayers? Do we expect God to do the impossible? Do you expect God to give you victory over sin, for God to change your heart, to bring a loved one to faith, to bring reconciliation in a relationship or more? Do you expect God to do the the impossible in your life? To close, let me tell you a story about my friend Ray. My friend Ray, he's a Presbyterian minister down in New Orleans, and he's a, a Princeton Seminary grad. He's a writer, and he tells the story of his birth father. He, he, he very specifically says that he is a man who has three fathers. He has a birth father, he has a father who raised him, and he has his heavenly father. But he tells a story about his birth father very specifically. His birth father is only known um, by bear. He was a gun runner. He was an artist. He was married seven times. He was an Indian medicine man and a mystic. He even wrote a book on Indian Native American spirituality. And so while you you may not expect Ray to ever connect with his father, they actually did. They connected 22 years ago. They faithfully kept in touch. They would write to one another. They would visit one another. And as they would write to one another, they would often start talking very frankly and honestly about spirituality and even exchange books. And so Ray, over and over again, is writing to his father, sharing the gospel— and he shares books by all the greats. He's sharing books by Tim Keller, John Stott, Henry Nowen, like Paul David Tripp, and others. He's sharing these books by, with the greats. And he's hoping and praying for his father to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so then Ray decided one time to, sh- to actually send his father his own book on the Apostles' Creed. And his, but his birth father wrote to him the following words. After a lifetime of rejecting Christianity, I am now proudly a Christian, and it is your doing. Here's his his father saying, like, son, you brought me to faith. And here's Ray. He's like, this is what I've been praying for my entire life. But what would you expect? We have a God who delights in doing the unexpected. We have a God who delights in surprising us, but are we ready for God to surprise us? Are we waiting for God to meet us and are our hearts full of expectation? My prayer for us is that this coming the Advent season, that this entire season as we look in God's word, that the spirit would shape us where we would prayerfully and quietly expect God to work in our midst. Let's pray.